When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to Guys We Fuck. The anti-slutching podcast. Yo, you having sex? I'm Christina Hutchinson. I'm Corinne Fisher. And I'm your boyfriend. Bring us your slutty, your horny, and your shame. Hey, you a slut? Yes. How you doing, fuckers? What up? How you been? You fucking? You doing okay? What's going on inside that brain of yours? Welcome to another episode of Guys We Fucked. It's the Anti-Slut Shaming Podcast. I'm Corinne Fisher. I'm Christina Hutchinson. Welcome to our show. Thank you to everybody who submitted songs to fuck to. Yes. Um, Please check our Instagram at Guys We Fucked without the U in fucked for uh, the top 10 list. Um, you send in some good ones. I gotta be honest. Some of them, I was like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh!" I can't not want to fuck to that song. Did any men send songs in? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, they did, and they were good. Some people, my bitch. <laughs> yeah, some people didn't understand the assignment, as the kids say, and that like they were really romantic. And I'm like, "No, nah, I'm talking like a song that makes you want to crawl on all fours, baby." Oh, and we got have, a lot of those. They sound like loveless. Yeah, yeah. I'm Light like, a uh, candle. Y- yeah, I mean. That makes know. me feel very uncomfortable. Can't lit candles? No, not candles, but just like if it's songs that, songs you, would, with feelings? that you would light a candle to. I don't want to... I don't, well, it's also, you know, you know, it's like when you get a, you get like a card for like Valentine's Day or something, but it's like the person who manufactured the card wrote too much yeah. in the card. And yeah. you're like, well, now this is, this is not even my own feeling. Right. 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 It, that's what, that's how I feel about a song that's too romantic and having sex to it. Mm, yeah, I just need yeah. to feel it from you. Right. 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 Um, so let's pull let's Corinne and I are gonna do uh, a love bucket pull Um, I already pulled one for Corinne because it was one I mine's fully loaded I forgot I wrote this uh, a couple uh, months ago when we did the live guys we fucked on YouTube which we are going to be doing uh, January 25th at 9pm Eastern Standard Time uh, youtube.com slash guys we fucked without the you and fuck come one and come all Mm -hmm. that's right those are very fun shows. Yeah, they're super fun. I enjoy those a lot. Okay. All right. Now I'm scared. It says, would you rather have... <laughs> this is not at all the direction I thought this was going in. Would you rather have an incurable stinky pussy <laughs> or no neck? That's a tough one, huh? I really come up with the challenges. To me, it's actually pretty easy. Incurable stinky pussy. Really? Yeah. You just find someone who doesn't have a sense of smell. Or you, or you got get them in an COVID. accident. <laughs> <laughs> what, defi- can we define no neck? Does no neck mean like you just have like a like a chubby, like when people are stocky like, and they have no neck? Or- no. Do you mean medically no neck or someone who has like a bad neck? Right. I mean medically no neck. Yeah, like that's why it goes from shoulders, shoulders to head. <laughs> I think people really underestimate how important a neck is to a to, look. Oh, to yeah. proportions. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Neck can make or break you. And really this can. is like my favorite part of me. Oh, right. So, so you definitely we want definitely a neck. definitely got, I need you the neck. You want that neck in there. I need the neck. Especially because yeah. you got that golden ratio face, baby. Yeah, I need the neck. And like, I 
And especially as someone like it's to me, this question is also asking, like, do you need your life to be easy on a day to day basis or do you need intimacy? And for me, just (laughs) I need my life to be easy on a day to day basis. (laughs) Yes, of course. So that's how I kind of interpreted that. Incurable stinky pussy. And also you just find some simp who's like, I love you no matter what your pussy smells like. And if there's anyone who could do that, it's your girl. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pick one. Okay. Wait, you didn't answer, Christina. Uh, I, uh oh, I think I'd rather, yeah, I guess the pussy one. <laughs> yeah. Cause the neck really does fuck up your look and I have a long neck. Sorry. I, I like no neck. neck to listeners. Sorry guys. <laughs> yeah. No offense. Uh, which two of our comedian colleagues would you most like to see in a porn? Oh, Ooh. Oh. Oh. oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to go with, okay, wait, let me think. I'm going to go with Jeff Dye. Ooh. And who's the guy that hosted the AVNs? Oh, I'm Matt, gonna do two Matt, guys. Matt Rife. Matt Rife. I'm going to go with them. Mm. I would like, yeah. Because I wouldn't mind two guys touching each other. I want it to be something crazy like John Chris, <laughs> who's, a, who's a Christian comedian. And then like. Ms. Pat. Yeah. I was thinking Ms. Pat. I was thinking Ms. Pat. Yeah. That's really funny. Should fuck him up. I would like to see him get fucking owned. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, if you want to email us at sorryaboutlastnightshow at gmail.com. Today's subject line, I broke things off with my sugar daddy days before my relationship. Hi, Corinne and Christina. Wow, wow, wow. I'm so surprised and glad I'm finally reaching out to you two. I've been listening to you both for eight years now. Ooh, OG fucker, thank you. And can remember the day I first came across your podcast. I was crying. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was 17 and insanely depressed as I was growing up in a mentally and physically abusive household. I was driving to school, uh, which at the time was a 40-minute commute, and trying to find new basic, uh, new music about fucking guys that would give me a confidence boost. Ooh, you should go to our... uh, Instagram and go look at that playlist. Little did I know when I typed into that search bar, I would find you two in the results. I couldn't help but keep listening. Corinne quickly resonated with me as her hilarious, realist perception of the world was similar to how I viewed it. And Christina had that positive light I was craving. I like how she nicely was like, she was like, I was going to kill myself. And then I found Corinne and I was like, oh, this bitch wants to kill herself. (laughs) I don't. You you both were unapologetically yourselves and inspired me to finally be my own person too. Oh, that's very nice. I've grown tremendously since then and in all aspects of life and you've been such a positive influence so I can't thank you enough for what you do however I've run into an issue I feel the need to write into the podcast about that I'm hoping you can help me with when I turned 23 I had some dumb bitch self-reflection and decided it probably wasn't healthy Mm. to continue my journey of relationship hopping Mm. looking back I'm sure I was searching for the love and security I didn't receive as a child that's always what it is anyway I decided to join my generation's hookup culture and man it was fun I learned how to be intimate with someone without getting my feelings involved and without searching for their validation Ooh, very important men to me were disposable Mm, yum and my dates with them were an opportunity to figure out what I liked when I went on a date with them I mentally checked off what I did and didn't like about them, and even in the bathroom, I was an amazing in the bedroom. It, oh, in the bedroom, but also, oh, in the, also in the bathroom. That Very makes a different. world of difference. That <laughs> makes a world of difference. Oh boy, uh, it was an amazing journey of self reflection and growth. Seriously, I would journal about it and believed the right person that checked all the good boxes would come into my life when it was time. Mm-hmm. Around this time, I also entered the sugar daddy world. 
I instantly matched with this guy who was very high up for an air in an aerospace company. He was only he was my only sugar daddy. And I would meet him a couple times a month. We bonded over art, cocktails and meditation. He would mentor me on my career. Ooh, sexy. And we had pretty great sex for a 31 year old, a 31 year age gap. Whoa. Wow. Good. Nice. Good for him. And you. He still sucked, though. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't getting attached, and I always made sure to grab my envelope before going home. I mean, yeah. You know, get, how much get money that are these people paying? It's so wild that it's just an envelope of money. Yeah. I kinda, that's kind of hot. <laughs> yeah. Fast forward like to when I met my now boyfriend. He checks all of my boxes. We went on dates for about five months, as I was, of course, mentally testing him. He surprised me left and right and still surprises me with his actions, character, and open-mindedness. I mentioned you guys by name as some of my favorite comedians, and he's a fan of the podcast good man this email is long enough i don't need to go into any more but wow 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 is all i have to say anyways as we were casually dating i felt myself get closer to him and more out of contact with sugar daddy i ended up breaking things off with my sugar daddy because i knew i wanted uh i wanted to be with my boyfriend the catch my boyfriend asked me to be official with him two days after that i never brought it up i don't know I, if that's a catch i never brought up yeah i never it's just like good time the result of your action I've never brought up and journaling. You got manifests. Uh, I never brought up the sugar daddy thing when we were casual. Who would and have flat out lied to him when we would go on dates and he would ask why I was always at so many hundred dollar bills. <laughs> well, I wonder what the lie was. Uh, I would God. love to know. Why do I have so many hundreds? The Chase ATM man had only disposed disp- uh, dis- Dispelled? No, it only dispensed. There we go. I know I was getting close. Thanks. Teamwork. (laughs) This is one long ass email to tell you both that I've been with uh, my boyfriend for a year and I feel like I'm hiding the secret from him. I've shared secrets with him that he's accepted from uh, me for. But I feel like this one might hit too close to home. Should I ever tell him? I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for everything. No, I think it's very healthy to keep secrets to yourself, especially in a relationship. You don't need to know every single thing about each other. Um, But that's something I realized as I got a little older. Why does it hit too close to home, though? I don't understand. Like, I, you're, like you're using like sayings, but incorrectly. What? Yeah. The Here's the catch. Yeah, it doesn't. No, that doesn't. It doesn't have. A, it hits too close to home. Meaning, like, what's home? Your pussy? Like, I don't. I'm, that, that I'm truly a little bit. Yeah, I'm truly like confused because it's like, okay, it's not like he had a story about a about a sugar baby who did him wrong. It's not like you cheated on him with the sugar daddy. Like to me, it's like what. Uh, I mean, I, I I agree that you do need to keep secrets in a relationship, and most people I think really fuck that part up the the relationship um up, and they have nothing for themselves. But it feels like it's way on you a bit and that's the only reason why I might say to tell him it's just like stuff like this the longer you wait the more it feels like a bigger secret than it is and also all right, so you know how like when a little kid falls, if the parents make a big deal about the fall, then mm-hmm. the kid yeah. perceives it as a big deal and cries harder. Yeah, I think I that's, that that same is th- sentiment is true for relationships because like I've like o- overreacted to things that actually in my heart didn't bother me because of how a boyfriend has presented um, ah. the information to me, and part of that was to fuck with them because I you know they thought they did something really wrong, so I wanted to act like they did do something really wrong so they couldn't get away with it. Watch you squirm. Um, Yes, absolutely. It's like, oh, if you thought this was that bad, then let's make it that bad because because sometimes that is enough, you know? So like it, it's like if you think you did something really bad and you feel that level of guilt, then it's like 
it's almost like you should pay at that level. This is very mm-hmm. fucked up. But mm-hmm. um, I, I see what you're saying. I follow. But it's just like, oh, you think you did something really fucked up to me. So now I have to act like you did something really fucked up to me because it took you this long to tell me. It's not that fucked up, uh, okay. actually. I think it actually does work out. Uh, that only happened one time, whatever. That person does not out of my life. Um, but uh, but yeah, it seems like it's weighing on you a lot. So if you're going to tell him, tell him sooner rather later. But like also don't don't act like it's the biggest thing in the world because it, it isn't and you didn't do anything incorrectly. Yeah. Like you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I mean you could yeah, if you if you're concerned about how he's going to react, if if he's checking all these boxes that are really important to you in a loving relationship, then it seems like he's the kind of person that won't react poorly to that. This show is sponsored by Better Help. Getting stuff off your chest is incredible. It's so therapeutic. We all carry around different stressors. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. A lot of them are very big. Uh, But we keep them bottled up and it could start affecting us negatively. And then we act like a jerk to the people we love. And we're like, this is not how I want to be. Therapy has saved my life personally. There are so many benefits of it. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. Although if you have experienced major trauma, highly recommend. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designated to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you could switch at any time. Finding a therapist is like dating. They're not all going to work out in the first try. BetterHelp understands that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash guys to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash guys. Guys, the weather's getting warmer. It's time to say goodbye to your jackets and all your sweaters and you got to refresh your wardrobe. Well, luckily... I found Quince, and now you have too, because you're listening to this. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you go to their website, the amount of categories, they have travel, lookbooks, men, women, home, babies, and kids— Their stuff is so cute. So I own a couple items from Quince, and one of them is the Italian leather hand-woven crossbody purse in green, emerald, and I get compliments on it all the time. It's a small purse, which I really love because then I don't put as many things in it. Um, Guys, Quince is amazing. They have very luxury items for very cheap prices. Get warm weather ready, baby, with Quince. Go to quince.com slash GWF for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash GWF to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash GWF. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes the reason that we don't tell people things, even though we want to, is because we are afraid of their reaction, you know? But it's like, and then I also ask yourself, like, would it bother you if your possible, like, you know, 
future husband was like anti-sex worker. Like, would that bother you? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe you were you were raised in a like a volatile household, so maybe uh, maybe you were made to feel guilty about things that you have no business feeling guilty for, and this is just one of them. Yeah, and that's why it's weighing on you. Also, could just be a sexy secret, but like the fact that you like took the time to write this email after all these years of listening to me says it's weighing on you heavily. And when I think when you have a secret weighing on you or in a relationship, it can start to affect the relationship. Yes, for sure. Uh, Also, come see us live. I'm going on tour, baby. Nyack, New York. I'm headlining Levity Live February 2nd through 4th. Winnipeg, Canada. Rumors Comedy Club February 9th through the 11th. Tickets are available on my website for those two dates as well as uh, all my social media. Get on that Linktree link. And then no tickets are available yet for these following dates, but put them in your calendar. New Westminster, British Columbia, Canada. House of Comedy March 16th through the 18th. Dallas, Texas March 24th through the 26th. Boston. I'm doing Laugh Boston April 14th and 15th. Edmonton, Canada. I'm going to be headlining the comic strip April 20th to the 22nd and then Detroit, Michigan House of Comedy I will be headlining April 28th and the 29th and I have a Patreon that you can sign up for it's five bucks a month you get solo episodes episodes of my solo podcast rather the voices in our heads as well as uh, up to four opportunities per month to do Zoom group lamenting and sharing Chad because I'm not a licensed therapist Um, that happens yeah five dollar level and patreon.com slash Christina Hutchinson uh, and then for me, Texas, uh, coming to you in February, uh, Austin, Texas. I'm at the Vulcan Gas Company Friday, February 10th, and then go heading out to Houston, uh, Texas at Rockefeller's, uh, Saturday, February 11th. And then the following weekend, Toronto, Canada, I am going to be up inside you, uh, Friday the 17th and Saturday the 18th. There's four shows. Tickets for all these, uh, are currently available via the Linktree link in my Instagram profile or at CorinneFisher.com. Everything is organized for you. And of course, you can always listen to me roast and analyze the news on Without a Country. Uh, that's on the Gas Digital Network, but you can also just sign up on YouTube to just subscribe for free. It's Without a Country podcast. Very fun show. Uh, great times. All the fuck around. Nice. And if you haven't rated and reviewed Guys We Fucked and followed us on the iTunes Apple Podcast app, go ahead and do that. It's free. It's a great way to support the show. And then make sure you're following us on YouTube. We have a YouTube page dedicated to full episodes of Guys We Fucked on video. That's YouTube.com slash Guys We Fucked without the U and Fuck. That's all of our social media handles, including TikTok. And then we have a Clips channel, GWF Clips, um, that you should follow with shorter pieces and then old sketches. Uh, Uh, With the guys we fucked vaults, we're bringing back some old sketches that we did. And you can also watch uh, the Dumb Bitch Woo Woo Hour, which is a little sketch show that Corinne and I wrote and starred in. Look at all that free content. We love you, baby. Yes, yes, yes. And then, oh, also, this is this is for this is for Michael. I don't know if you follow Randy Newman on Instagram. I saw that he's he's having some health problems and he's like, <gasps> yeah, oh he had to cancel God. the Europe dates. Yeah, time is of the essence because it said I woke up and I said, unfortunately, due to ongoing recovery from his most recent surgery, <laughs> and that's not good because that means there's been a series of surgeries. Yeah, Randy Newman is unable to safely travel or perform therefore his european tour must be postponed his medical team is currently unable to determine when he will be ready and they will continue to work on his healing and monitor the progress so he can return to doing what he loves playing music for his fans so we just need big ups thoughts and prayers uh, to randy newman because he can't die before (laughs) michael coscarelli gets to meet him that is true he absolutely cannot come on god 
Come yeah. on, Randy, pull Come through on, for me. God. Please do it for me, Randy. Let's all say a prayer for <laughs> Randy. Please, please pull through. He is a treasure. Please. Um, and uh, yeah, so I watched the Crystalia doc mm. after uh, looking at your stories, Corinne. Yes, um, over the holiday break, and what a holiday celebration that documentary! I is. loved it. Yeah, I, I I bunkered myself up in in the bedroom and and watched the whole thing. It was very interesting um, because it's a lot more serious. His his he's <laughs> man these. Sexual predators are so open about their predatory ways mm-hmm. and everyone's just like, ha, 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 you can't, he's kidding, right? And then this doc was like, no, he's not kidding. He's like really the leader of a cult and gets uh, his initials branded on girls' necks. Well, it's like- What? The, it's a, it, but, yeah. Okay, but it's also like the kind of Tattooed, cult that you would but... like start when you're in like middle school. Like, you know, like, yeah. like Paula and I started calling us ourselves the cruel whores and then like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it, Chris D'Elia is so fucking embarrassing to himself. Yeah. <laughs> I can't and that neck tattoo was woof. That, that's why, yeah. So you have to fuck. You, you have to when you're this level of embarrassing. That's when you have to fuck a 17 year old because only a 17 year old would think that like getting your like getting branded is cool, right? <laughs> right. Can you imagine telling a 37 year old woman to get a crystal <laughs> tattoo? <laughs> Stop it! Oh my god. Hey baby, how about you get your initials tattooed on my le- neck? How about you go fuck yourself, Crystalia? I'd rather get a, a Yankees tattoo on my calf than a. Crystalia tattoo, and that's like the one of the worst tattoos that there are, that exists. Right, right, right. You, well, I was I just googled before before I started talking about it. I was like, oh, I'm curious. I, I haven't really heard much about it. I, I I tweeted about it after I saw your stories, Corinne, and then I was just googling to see if any of his shows got canceled. Because one of the frustrating things is like, you know, making an example of people to be like, don't fuck. What are you doing, dude? What are you doing, dude? Um, but it's there's a Rolling Stone article from January fourth. Uh, um, oh, saying, that's the one that the, 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 so the I I the the filmmaker had actually contacted me uh, after I I put it in my stories and he was like, oh, a Rolling Stone article is about to come out and he gave me this woman's um information. Oh, nice. If, I, I, if I anybody like, came forward, I, I was like, well, I don't know any of the survivors well, of Crystalia because we're, we're East Coast. He, this yeah. is mo- he does Although, this on the road. More. I'm curious, is anybody listening to guys we fucked that got hit up by Crystalia? Email us, sarbellasunshowgmail.com. I'm yeah, curious. Any 17-year-old listeners? Um, I mean, yeah, we do have a bunch. But uh, yeah, that's one thing I do appreciate about Guys We Fucked fans is that they'll go see live comedy, which I love, all around the country, all around the globe. And then if they do fuck a male comedian, we'll know about it. And then if the male comedian misbehaves in any way, <laughs> we get told. And I kind of love that. Um, but yeah, it says Hollywood Improv removed the 42-year-old's show on January 11th from the schedule without explanation weeks after the comedian was accused of predatory behavior. So, I mean, he'll probably be back on the road soon because... But wait, that timeline makes no sense. How are they... How is it, say, January 11th, but then the article's from January 4th? What? They were... I guess he had a show. So on January... So as of January 4th, he had a scheduled show at the Hollywood oh, Improv oh, for oh, the 11th. Oh, oh, I see what they're saying. And, and, okay. it, and they canceled it. Um, but that's about it. Yeah, but that's because I think they were getting so much blowback because all these clubs in L.A. had, you know, and and not to point a finger at L.A. because uh, New York books tons of rapists too. Oh yeah, um, uh, rapists and molesters and sex cult people. We don't really have the square footage for a sex cult here, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, hey, where would you put it? More yeah, the rent, rent is too damn high. <laughs> rent studio. We have a sex closet in New York. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sex studio. Sex maybe. cab. <laughs> sex van. Oh god. Um, yeah. Wild shit. Yeah. But you know who's not wild? 
was wild in a great intellectual way. Our guest. Our guest today. Uh, he is a writer, podcaster, and opinion columnist who specializes in issues related to race, public policy, and applied ethics. And he does have a book coming out that he is currently writing. I'm very excited to read that when it does come out. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Coleman, Coleman Hughes. Hughes. Let it out. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. We are here with writer, podcaster, author, Coleman Hughes. So happy to have you on the show. Great to be on the show. Yeah. So I've known you for a bit. You are what I would describe as a very smart guy. Oh, thank you. You're a smarty. You're an intellectual. Thank you. I love I love hanging out and talking with people who are more intellectually uh, geared because uh, it teaches me. I'm very curious mm-hmm. about everything and why it works and why people do what they do. And I feel like you have a really good grasp on on that. You're young. You're 26? Six. Yeah, 26. It's amazing. So you already have so much. You just know about a lot of stuff. And I think it's fascinating. Um, one of the que- first questions I wanted to ask you was, how were you raised? Like, what values were imparted on you as a kid? Because I feel like they were good ones. That's a good question. So I was raised in suburban New Jersey. I had a great two-parent home. My mom was a New Yorkian from the South Bronx who came from poverty to affluence and her generation was the first to go to college. Mm. And my dad was grew up uh, middle class and he was like a Midwestern guy. So he was very nice. He says hi to everybody. My mom was like tough. She was from the Bronx. And uh, in fact, she would she would make sure you always said she's from the South Bronx, not <laughs> not from the Bronx, because that was the hardest place in arguably the hardest borough according to her what a pair brooklyn would disagree yeah (laughs) so they were they had a really great marriage Uh, i think i saw a great example of of love and of um like a fairly functional marriage Mm -hmm. and the values they instilled in me so my mother was book smart and it was very important to her to be book smart especially as a person of color and 
because I know for her growing up in the South Bronx, it was discouraged to read books. She was like teased and made fun of oh, well. hmm. for being like kind of like Matilda type from that. Yeah. Like Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. She's weird because she reads. Right. Yeah. And I remember when the Weird Al Yankovic song White and Nerdy came out. Remember that? Uh huh. Everyone in my family thought it was hilarious, except my mom, because she was like, why is there an association between whiteness and nerdiness? Why can't you be a black mm, nerd? Mm-hmm. So that was my mom. And she was also a Marxist and she was getting a PhD when I was young and she thought it was never too young to read your children things. So mm. when I was five years old, I she was reading me Marx and Emile Whoa. Durkheim and other famous socio- sociologists that are, that are Marxists. Um, and I didn't even know how, I remember thinking Durkheim was pronounced dirt kind <laughs> right. because like I was five. And yeah. I, yeah. And that's what five-year-olds care about. Oh, that yeah. name sounds funny. Yeah, exactly. Um, my dad, my dad was a big fan of Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. So he was totally on the other side of the political spectrum, but a big, um, you know, personal responsibility person. Nice. And I think the combination of them, I, I think they raised us pretty well did you grab any like did you get anything were you moved by these things that your mom was reading you or were no you just like in one like, ear out the other hungry. i want celery with the peanut peanut butter yeah i want ants on a ants log, on a log. Like raisin. Like what i was thinking about when she read marks to me i still sometimes think that you know during interviews <laughs> yeah. so yeah <laughs> about ants on a log yeah i mean just snacks it's in a general. really good snack yeah, yeah i always love snacks yeah um that's amazing so so what so you had a childhood obviously but like was it light was it or was it very heavy like it, that sounds getting read marks and books of that nature usually i'm reading fucking good night moon just worrying about playing with my barbies yeah well i think um it's interesting some people would have described me as a serious kid after a certain point i think it was like very silly and then i remember one time my dad told me you were really silly until about, you know, nine years old. And then you suddenly got really serious. You did a pivot. Yeah. Did something happen? No. You just. I don't know. You're just like, I'm serious now. Yeah. Was there any yeah. emphasis on fun in your childhood? Because I say I would say that was like the one of the things lacking from my childhood was like an emphasis on fun, which I think is actually quite important for children. You mean an emphasis? What do you mean by emphasis on fun? Like, f- like f- you should. Fun should be prioritized, I believe, Mm. when you're a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go out into the woods, get some sticks, play. Yeah, I think my my dad was more like, let them do whatever, let them walk to school a little more hands-off. My mom was like safety, Mm, you know. Mm. Um, But yeah, I played a lot. as I played with action figures. I played, I mean, as I got older, I really had one interest from like age 11 to 18, which was music. Mm. So you're a very talented musician. Thank you. So, but I was obsessed, you know, I'd practice hours and hours and hours a day. And that was my, pretty much my one interest Mm. uh, outside of girls and getting decent grades. Mm -hmm. But so that was what was fun for me. Yeah. At that point. What values did you, did you get a sex talk from your parents? Did they talk to you about dating when you enter, when you started that, when you became that age where you wanted to date women, did they sit you down, give you a talk? I definitely know they, I have a vivid memory of them sitting me and my sister down when we would have been, you know, at most five and seven years old, right by the front door of our house, laying out an encyclopedia 
with all the biology and the parts and explaining everything. <sighs> so technical. Yeah. yeah. You were five? Like medical. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What Something did you like do? You remember what you thought when you were given this information? I knew that it was important and it was something to remember by the tone and the gravitas, but I could yeah. not conceptualize how any of it would be important. Right. Because you weren't interested in girls at that point. Yeah. You're five. Yeah. When you started when you started dating, did they give you did they ever give you a sex talk other than that anatomy speech as a kid? I think my dad used to say, um, almost any decision in life you can take back except having a kid. <laughs> Hot. So, yeah. so he used to wear a condom. <laughs> oh, okay. Like everything else, everything else is reversible, right? Right, right. Even right. if you get into a bad marriage, you can untangle it. You could divorce, yeah. At at large expense, maybe. But having a kid, you cannot kill your kid. Yeah, I mean, you can. You should. You, you should. It's, it's frowned upon. Right. Very right. much so. Societally you would not be jailed, yeah. hopefully. Um, huh. Interesting. So one of the things that I find so interesting about you is your you you have a stoicism in the midst of a chaotic world hmm. that I really admire. Hmm. And there's this concept. I forget what what author that I read that was talking about this, but I, I've heard it across the board. Kind of, it's not anything incredibly unique. Is is activism? So like hmm. when you when you care about a cause it's i've heard that it's it's important almost imperative that you're not too emotionally invested in the cause mm. because then your activism is kind of for the wrong reasons and i remember when i heard that i'm like everybody that i know that's really passionate sure. about activism is way too emotionally invested mm. in the cause well i'm mm. curious what your thoughts are on that have you observed that to be true there is a very interesting tension there because on the one hand emotion is what stirs you to go out there sure. and I think uh, the way Bayard Rustin used to put it, who's my favorite historical activist, like put put your body in the cog of the wheel of mm. society, right? Like put your body on the line, make the make the gears stop so that you must be paid attention to. That requires emotion. I mean, it, it requires emotion in the same way going to war requires this kind of like tribal patriotism and like, yeah. you know, ginning people up like the Lord of, Lord of the Rings scene where you clack, you got to clack the swords to get people into a mode, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And it's it's a primal thing. It's actually a primal Very. thing, but you need it to organize at scale. On the other hand, that same exact impulse leads people to ignore true facts on the other side, to exaggerate the hand that they actually have, mm -hmm. and to be intellectually irresponsible in the claims that they're making, mm -hmm. to demonize the enemy more than they ought to be. And all that stuff is is dangerous. And I think by temperament, I'm I'm very sensitive to those excesses how do you how do you stay calm when you're in the midst because you've had so many t t moments in your life where you've debated really hot but at issues so yeah. so how do you how do you ground yourself like how do you stay tethered to yourself during like a heated debate well i think the first and most important thing is to check yourself yeah. yeah, like the everyone's first impulse is, oh, the person who's yelling at me, they're they're crazy, they're nuts, and then I'm gonna look up an article that disproves them. It's like <laughs> that is that's all well and good, and mm -hmm. sometimes you you are right, and you ought to insist that you're right. But I think the first step is always to wonder, wait a minute, am I getting ahead of myself? Mm. Am I did I get triggered by something that's making me be irrational? Right. Did I say something I regret, and now I'm digging into it just because I said it, where I could just as easily go. Actually, I, I didn't. Let me just start again. That was wrong. Let me. So that's the first thing to do. First thing, I think you got to start with you before you're like 
thinking of tactics of how to make this conversation better. Yeah. Um, and then outside of that, I think you should try to listen well and meditation doesn't hurt. Oh, it's so good. Um, but I, you know, there's no, there's no formula for having a good conversation. Yeah. You just kind of have to see Well, every, and every conversation is a dance too. Yeah. And then you, you feel yourself get heated. You feel yourself kind of get carried away. And I think as, as you, as I get older, I can notice, Oh, oh I'm getting pissed. I got to back off, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so how are like the things that you are passionate about or that you, that you work at in the world? How did you get involved in them and what are they? So I, um, as a high schooler, I was in, I was into philosophy and music mainly. Mm-hmm. And out of high school, I went to Juilliard for a bit. And then I dropped out and went to Columbia and did philosophy there. And when I got there, I noticed this kind of strange thing happening in the subculture there where everyone was obsessed with race. And they would talk about racism in America in a way that was more pessimistic than my grandparents who lived under Jim Crow. Mm. And I found I found that to be interesting. I found that to be strange and to be crying out for an explanation. Like, well, what is happening that I've now gone from a relatively privileged upbringing, but to the mecca of privilege, right? To an Ivy League university, sure. wh- which is extremely progressive. And, and yet people are more pessimistic than I've ever heard. How so? Like, it's never going to get better kind of thing? Yeah, it's never going to get better. It's We're doomed. Um, You know, racism suffuses every inch of society. Mm. And, um, and, and, you know, all people of color are inherently victims of it. And uh, I became curious because this, this struck me as a a frank, uh, frankly, just total hyperbole. Mm. And I, I was curious, what, what, what is it doing psychologically for people? Because it's not actually true that people are experiencing racism every day on this campus. That's like a claim I would hear in the Columbia Spectator, right? Okay. And I knew walking around on campus, like, I think I experienced one truly racist incident in, in my four years at Columbia. Um, it's not to say everyone experiences the same, but, right. you know, if I'm somewhere in the sample size of norm- of like reality there was a real disconnect between what people were saying and what the mm-hmm. facts on the ground were. And I became curious about that gap. How do I explain that gap? And so for a year or two, I would just read and write about it for, for no audience. So I had like a Google doc of like dozens of dozens of pages, like trying to figure out what, where this is coming from. Cause it was new to me. It was not a pessimism that I got from the black half of my family. It was a pessimism that seemed unique to actually like a higher upper class, yeah. upper crust and elite. Mm. And then eventually I started submitting, I wrote a little bit for the student newspaper and then eventually for this online journal, Quillette, which accepted my pieces. And Love then, Quillette, yeah. yeah. And then my writing, I got, again, a following from there. Then I started a podcast and here I am. No. Yeah. In those numbers, I mean, when you say one racist, really racist incident in four years, I mean, are you or do you think the people who were writing and saying it was every day, are they counting like microaggressions or because like, obviously, I'm going at only going at it from like, uh, you know, a, a female perspective and how I am treated as a woman. So, And I think sometimes like. I was reading in Coddling of the American Mind that sometimes something will happen and it is up to, you know, the minority, whether that be being a woman, being a person of color to decipher 
whether or not it was because you are a woman or because you are a person of color. And sometimes we just make the decision that this thing happened to us because mm-hmm. of who we are, mm-hmm. but we don't have any actual proof. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe that's where it was coming from? Or you or you think it was just like a blatant like liar? I'm sure both. I mean, yeah. I think James Baldwin has a quote in the fire next time, something to the effect that when you live in a society with actual racism, it can be difficult to distinguish between sure. the real and the imagined. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so there yeah, is it that. permeates your psyche. Yeah. Right. And, and you, yeah, t- totally. It, it can. And um, so that I mean, one thing is how you interpret a quote unquote microaggression. If someone asks you, oh, where are you from? Oh, no. Where are you really from? Right. right? That kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Or one that I've gotten, you know, one that I've gotten my whole life is that I'm articulate. So I have two choices of how to interpret that. Right. claim. One is to say, oh, they're saying they're saying I'm articulate for a black person, mm. right? They think the mere fact that I can string a few sentences together is amazing because of my skin color, right? It could be that, or it could be the fact that I actually am articulate. Yeah, you are. Yeah. And most people are <laughs> And dumb. most people are not. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually... Uh, <laughs> right. I don't have many friends who I would describe as articulate, yeah. but you would certainly be one of them because right. I. you just know how to voice things in a calm manner in a very intellectual way, but that's not too over everybody's head. But I, tr- I don't think that because you're black. I think that's right. just because you're really smart. And so, exactly. So I think what I can tell you is this. The whole subculture at Columbia was teaching me to interpret that kind of a compliment mm. in the racist way. Right. Okay. Oh, yeah. got it. My got reason, it. My, my reason would tell me to interpret it in the charitable way, 99 times out of 100. Yeah, yeah. That's also the way to interpret it that best suits you. And I mean, I think sometimes we have to uh, uh, just take take things in the way that it's going to help our lives, whether mm-hmm. or not that is even true. Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the advice they give you like during a breakup or relation, like relationship experts will be like, just interpret it in a way that is beneficial to you because that helps with the healing process. That's a good point. I was talking to this guy, uh, the guy who does the Hidden Brain podcast. I'm, yeah, I'm blanking on his name. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I forget his name, but I know that podcast. Yeah, Indian guy. He, so he he was he he said they had a whole podcast dedicated to this question of do you actually want to know if you've been discriminated against? <laughs> mm. It's a very interesting question. Yeah. Because the obvious answer is just to say, of course I want to know. Sure. Uh, you, you don't want to be I, ignorant to it. Yeah. In, in a situation of uncertainty, did I actually lose this opportunity because of my race or was it just because I wasn't qualified and it was totally above board? Um, he, he actually came to the interesting conclusion based on some research that it, it may be psychologically beneficial to be the sort of person that when discriminated against actually doesn't think about it. Ah, and why? I, I can guess, but because curious. like to, to, to feel that the world is a little bit against you right. can end up harming you, but then you don't put yourself out there. Then you become bitter. Yeah. And you build to, a wall. Yeah. Get shy. Yeah. That to makes have, sense. To have a little bit of a slight delusional, um, optimism yeah. may actually be beneficial to you in your life. That's like why I, w- I walk around like thinking I'm a 10 when I'm not, but it helps. <laughs> it like, does I, help. It truly. Well, it, tr- it makes you, you more attractive. You walk around like you're a 10. Yeah, because I, I, yeah. I'm walking around with the air of someone who's a 10, like a right. mom. And they're like, who's that girl Yeah, with that walk? Yeah. You ever like you ever ha- like have a conversation with someone and they they just kind of say, state as if it is fact that they are an attractive person that you would want to go on a, a date with. And even though you're looking at their face and you're going, this, I don't think may, there's something with wrong with my 
eyes, mm-hmm. right? It and makes then you question they convince your... you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah totally. That always, that's I find that to be a mesmerizing quality. I've, yeah. de- I've definitely seen it written in a lot of articles that um, depressed people sometimes have a more ac- quote unquote accurate read of facts. Right. So if, if like if 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 I give a TED talk, or if you give a hundred people to give a TED talk, the people that are depressed they will give an accurate reading of what the audience thought of them. Mm. They will say, no, the audience thought I was about a five out of 10. Right. And the people that aren't depressed will overrate themselves. So there's, yeah. there's some, some way in which a delusional confidence, you know, not getting up to Kanye and Trump levels, right. but a little bit of a healthy delusional confidence may be a good thing. Yeah. yeah. What, what, has, what has being in relationships taught you? To find the right person to be in a relationship with. <laughs> to, it's taught you that or yes. you're asking to no 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 that's what it's taught me so like I, I I judge myself to be in a very good relationship it's one I really enjoy um, and it's been a couple of years and I like I, I I love it and sometimes you know as a 26 year old guy most of my friends are still not quite really in that right. situation some want to be some don't but sometimes they will look at me and say, oh, you've been in a, like a, what seems like a really comfortable and functional and great relationship for several years. Like, what, what, what's the secret? And I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't good in my relationships before this. I was oh, okay. not really. I wouldn't say that I was. You were so young, though. Yeah. yeah. But also it's like, well, making mistakes, you have to make mistakes yourself. I think for sure. I learned like advice is not that helpful necessarily unless mm-hmm. – because you don't know which advice applies to you until you right. make the and mistake. Everybody's going to give you advice from their biased perspective. That's right. As I say, all advice is autobiographical. Mm-hmm. But Very then, true. You know, I, I found like a lot of the things that were problems with me in previous relationships were not problems when I met the right person. Yeah. That's the, what we learned from this podcast. The pairing yeah. of two people is so, people are so yeah. unique and you and 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 you know, Sally are going to be so much more unique than you and Lisa. Like, it's just, you're going to be, it's a completely different amoeba. Every relationship is like a, like its own little organism when two people come together and you're bringing, you don't know which traits are going to trigger the other person and how you deal with insecurities and and all of that stuff. What were some of the things that previously were considered problems that you have now decided are just unique qualities about yourself? I thought I didn't like PDA. But I did. I didn't, she didn't not like, like it PDA with, with somebody with the other person. Yeah, I guess like yeah. somehow the combination <laughs> of our chemistry like didn't feel right. Yeah, right. Not even right. not just from my perspective, but from from theirs too. Right? Yeah. And then with another person, I realized actually it just does work and it's nice and I do like it. But I yeah. thought that was a trait of me, right? I thought it was uh, a trait of me that I would have to. Oh, like I'm not a PDA to, guy. Yeah, not a PDA guy. And when I go on dates, I have to you know let people know I'm not. You know, we have to talk about that as like a <gasps> really? trait. Oh, that's sweet. I would never because I would not never that put that as like a b- bad thing or a good thing. To me, that's just a thing. It's not right. no, negative no, or agree. positive. It's not negative or positive. Yeah, I, I would agree. but would you? Were but you it was with a self somebody? definition that uh, that ended up being not a part of myself necessarily. Interesting. Right. Okay. So were you in a relationship with with anybody at some point where you both tried PDA, but you both did, yeah. it wasn't right. And you were yeah. like, this is so awkward like, yeah. and uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah, so you blame it on the PDA. Right. <laughs> huh. What else have you learned? Like, I feel like relationships, uh, relationships are really a good mirror to any insecurities that we may have. Have any popped up with you with romantic relationships and how have you dealt with them? So I didn't realize I was a jealous person or that I had a jealousy issue at all until I got in serious relationships. Mm. Because I never viewed, I always more or less 
felt like I could celebrate someone's success. I had no problem. Oh. Okay. We're I talking about jealous. Je- I thought you meant jealous of other men. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I guess we have the same word jealousy to describe two def- different sure. phenomena. Yeah, sure. Right? I guess envy maybe the other. But, you know, if, if I didn't know that I was someone that was capable of great jealous rage. Oh, you, you are? I mean, yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> no, I, I didn't guess it either until I I was in a situation. Yeah. In a relationship. And I realized... And I saw this side of myself. I was like, mm. I had no idea I had the capacity mm. to like fly off the handle. Right. I didn't know because I had never done that in any other context in my life. Yeah. How right. what, she achieve something you wanted to achieve? What do you mean? Well, because you because because we were we were interpreting the jealousy as like a, a jealousy of another guy, and then yeah. but, but you said it was more like envy as in like achievement. So right. So I, I guess the, the, I said it confusingly. Like until I was in serious relationships in my 20s, I didn't think of myself as a person capable of great jealousy or great anger. Right. And to the point where there would be like problems. Right. Yeah. Right. Because I I had never really been so jealous of, an, of a friend that it, it became a problem where, you know, I've seen people people have that problem. Jealousy can be an ugly feeling, too. Yeah, it is. It is. But it turned out that <laughs> the first time I was in a situation uh, where. I, I was capable of feeling jealousy of another guy. I like uh, I had no antibodies for it. I had no <laughs> right. no preparation. No one ever does when that first pops up. Yeah, especially when you don't think you're really capable of exhibiting yeah. that. Yeah, a lot. How did you deal with it? Poorly, <laughs> <laughs> as we all do when we learn. Would you? Did you go up to the? Did you go up to your partner at the time? Did you go up to the guy? Yeah, I probably screamed at her or something crazy. Yeah, um, like on the street in New York. Yeah, yeah, I've been like there. I've been like the psycho guy screaming. Yeah. on the street, and then and then, oh, good thing Christina didn't see you. She would have stepped in. <laughs> yeah, I'd have been like, "Are you okay, man? Are you okay?" I've seen so many instances of couples in New York where the guys just screaming at yeah. the girl, and I'm yeah. like, "Are you?" Okay? Okay. And she's like, I'm fine. I'm like, all right, well, then fuck both of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's usually how it goes. <laughs> yep. how, do you, how do you come back from that? Like, can you repair? Because I know there's certain moments in relationships where uh, well, I know psychologically it's called splitting. Like uh-huh. a lot that can happen a lot, like in a traumatic household with a parent and a child uh-huh. where the parent just betrays the child's trust so much that even mm. if the kid doesn't realize you are emotionally splitting from a person. And yeah. I think we, if you've anybody's been in a relationship especially when that's ended, which most of them do, mm. you, there's a moment a yep. lot of times. It's usually not a, a buildup. There's like a moment where you split. Yep. Did you feel that when you were exhibiting those emotions? Luckily, or? no, no. I, I I never felt that split and the, the split never happened from her end on, on jealousy issues either. Yeah. So it, I was able to resolve it just by like, talking through it and also knowing when to stop talking through it because it's you have to handle it yourself can't beat a dead horse yeah yeah, yeah. There, and there's certain things where yeah you have to pick yourself up from this and can't rely can't use the other person as like an emotional crutch that's right and that's one of those things I just I the only way I've gotten better about it is by being in that situation like feeling that in myself and not right. being like oh this is the jealousy thing mm-hmm. let's not let's not go crazy yeah. this is actually this is going to go away if I can, it's a wave. It's a wave. Yeah, it's temporary. It's a tide. I don't have to just act it out in all its insane toxicity for it to go away. It will actually go away if I'm less toxic in my behaviors about it. It will still go away. 
Yeah, because I think there's a there's this urge when jealousy pops up or or insecurity of any kind, which I guess is what jealousy would come from, mm-hmm. is some type of insecurity. Mm-hmm. There's there's this desire in people where where do I put this? What do I do with it? Mm-hmm. And really, unfortunately, the best answer is you don't do anything with it. Right. You just breathe, and then it passes through you. That's right. And it's so hard to not act on it. Yeah. But you get better over time. Mm-hmm. What What are your values in relationships? Like, what do you value out of a romantic relationship? What do you mean by that? What are some possible answers? Like, <laughs> like, um, like I love the closeness that I feel with somebody. I love feeling supportive. I mm-hmm. think the sex is actually is a is a very bonding thing for two people to do. And you're mm-hmm. typically, if you're in a monogamous relationship, you're only doing that with your partner. So yep. that's a way to feel. It's just a way to feel a type of closeness that you don't get with anybody else. I think that's right. I I love that closeness. I love that intimacy. That's what I've always loved about relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, are you a relationship guy? Like, have you had yes. a lot? Yeah. I've, I've always been a relationship guy. I've, I've never been like a casual sex guy. Yeah. I, I have done that at periods of being single between relationships and have generally not enjoyed it that much. Yeah. What, um, what, did, what did you not like about it? Well, if I like you enough, then I'm going to want to be in a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's how I've always felt about it. And if I don't like you enough, then it becomes this thing of like we have sex a couple times and then I'm not into it. And then I feel all this guilt if she's into it. Yeah. And the whole sum total of the experience was like not worth the pleasure we felt mm. for a short period. That's been my experience. So you're not like a chaser. It. Yeah. Cause I, there's chaser, some guys that love like chasing women, no. like love the chase, the Correct. thrill of the chase. That's never, never. been of interest to you. No. no. And you're Pisces, right? You're a Pisces yeah. guy. Yeah. Very, are you emotional? Very emotional and sensitive? Um, I think so. I mean, some ways, I'm sure. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, th- I think so. I probably come across as, like you said, stoic. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I can tell you I I cry at 50% or more of movies I watch. Yeah. Do you, but and they're not always good. Crying at movies, I feel like is something like when I, there was a, you know, for many, many years, I cried like three times a year, like a year, like not at all. Mm. But I would always cry during movies. And I think that's like a different kind of cry. Are you someone who mm. cries often based on like, like interpersonal not often. things? No, no, not often. Do you cry at the news? No, I don't think so. No. Um, I may have, I may have cried when Trump was elected in 2016. Yeah. Um, on, in retrospect, I cried, the, I'm I not cried sure. too, but it was because Hillary lost, not because Trump won. Yeah. That, I just felt so bad for her. That's all she wanted. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I just like felt, I felt like we really, there's just someone how bad she wanted that for years yeah. and yeah, years Yeah. There's years. just something about yeah. someone feeling at their dreams so publicly that really broke my heart. Yeah. I, man. And, and 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 to think of that as a failure when she's ha- when she when in, in totality it's a huge success right. her life right. you know right it was a bummer totally <laughs> that um, was a big old bummer <laughs> we were in a room a theater filled with Hillary balloons we thought she won yeah she didn't we win. were in L A yeah so yeah. me and my friend who is half Mexican we cooked Mexican food mm-hmm. on the election night in order to celebrate Trump's loss because oh, he had been saying all this stuff about, right awful about oh, Mexicans and, and you know. I, I think just in in retrospect, I don't know if the cry was justified. I don't know if Trump did anything as bad in his four years as what I thought I he would do when when mm. I was crying. You know, this is a time when he was talking about putting Muslims on a registry and stuff like that. Like, yeah, truly, it's hard to get stuff done. Yeah, in four years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but but I also think he he didn't turn out to be the fascist that we worried he was. He turned out to be much more of the you know con man used Carl salesman than than, mm-hmm. than a Hitler. Um, but based on that perception, based on what he was saying at the time, that that I think I did cry. But I don't think I've cried about politics since then. Yeah, mm. and there's this there's this notion. I don't know this if this was at the root of your feelings during this, but the the. The, the fact that he was just saying such racist shit, so many sexist things, and the whole grab him by the pussy remark was he, – he said so many things that to me are absolutely heartbreaking for a political leader. Like I knew he was trash. I always mm-hmm. knew he was like kind of this trashy Long Island guy or Queens guy. Um, but the the part that made me sad is like people didn't care enough about his racism and his sexism to not vote for him. And, and it's mm-hmm. like what you were saying earlier about like when you got to Columbia and you realized there was this pessimism mm-hmm. with, with racism and how you, you viewed people talking about it. It's hard to not get pessimistic and just really mm. low and down about the state of, of hum- humanity, but humanity in America. Cause there's this like very particular brand of obnoxiousness in America that I, it's so much more palpable when I go to other countries and you realize the population is just calmer. They're just like mm. chill. They're not, there's not a lot of horn honking. There's not a lot of yelling. I know New York is a very unique bubble, but I would say there's a lot of anger in America and it just feels like that will never get dispelled. Like, how do you, like people, you know, when you were saying you feel jealousy, there's this innate instinct to want to do something about it immediately. Mm. I can't imagine like the, 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 the temperature of where everybody's at in America of like, they're just still trying to like pound on the door and do something about their rage when it's like, you just got to meditate and calm down. Mm. But I don't know. Like, do you ever get like lost in pessimism for like the direction of the world? I know it's a big question, but. No, not really. I, I think that the, the media has a financial interest in always reporting mm. the worst thing that happens today. Yeah. And it's so taxing. Yeah. They make money off of telling us horrible things right. and there are always going to be enough horrible things to report on. And often the good things are unseen. Like yeah. there's good things happening every day. They're just never reported on. And so if you pay attention to the news, mm. um, which you know obviously is not an accurate representation of the world, it's a very curated 0.00001% of events that happen today, mm-hmm. which will get you to watch TV or click on the article or whatever. Yeah. I think it gives you a skewed perspective and I'm influenced by the guys like Steven Pinker and Hans Rosing that have shown a lot of like countervailing progress occurring at the same time. That's nice. It's like hard to talk to anyone whose life is worse than their grandparents. I'm I'm in America, let's say. Yeah. If you sample your friends of all classes and backgrounds in America, most of them they talk to their grandparents and and their grandparents say, you have a better hand than I did. Mm-hmm. And that's the background fact behind all of the, you know, admittedly really crazy, horrible issues we do have to yeah. look at every day. Yeah. And it feels like all the news organizations just regurgitate the same stories. Like if there's one story that's breaking, that's really bad and really brutal, you you flip the channel and it's on every damn news source yep. and you're just get you get inundated with it. And it's just so exhausting. <sighs> What do you think is the state of masculinity right now? State of masculinity. That's an interesting question. So I just talked to this guy, Richard Reeves, on my podcast. Yeah, we were you know that. About him? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I saw that interview. Yeah, it was a great one. So he made a persuasive argue, argument to me just about the, especially about the educational system, mm-hmm. which is the fact that 
wind the clock back to the 50s and 60s, you had way more men graduating college, um, I think possibly even graduating high school, and certainly basically only men at the, you know, getting PhDs and and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that was just a pure a social barrier to a woman trying to do that. Like you just weren't expected to do that. It was just don't do that. Yeah. Once that barrier was lifted, what we now see is a, a big, the beginning of a trend in the opposite direction where considerably more women graduate high school than men, go to college uh, than men, and and so forth. And that's a that's an interesting phenomenon that no one would have predicted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what what didn't they see in the sixties that that would have led them to not predict that? Mm-hmm. And Richard Reeves, I think, argues persuasively that there's something about um, the structure of school that is a little bit easier for your average girl than your average boy. Um, girls get better grades in high school, for for instance. And so the more and more society invests uh importance in in book learning there is like a like a there's a class of boys that are dis- disadvantaged in that system they're like the boys that get uh i i would not count myself as one of these because i was good at school but adhd diagnoses are like four to one male to female mm-hmm. which is interesting and strange four to males for every one female getting diagnosed yes and but is it kind of split down the middle in general you think like is it 50 50 but we're just not seeing it in women or girls? Yeah, like the way autism is not is is harder to detect in women or not detected as frequently for whatever reason. That's a good question. My instinct is that actually more boys have the symptomology of ADHD than uh-huh. girls do. But my point there would be you know, like the a boy that is restless in class for instance or or a girl for that matter a, a kid that can't bring themselves to sit down for six straight hours and do the regurgitation thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's anything wrong with that kid. I'm not sure that right. kid necessarily has a condition. Right. And in many other societies and, and in many other times in history, no one would find any problem with this person. They would just mm. fit in somewhere in society that suited their personality type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And today, if you if you struggle in second grade to do that thing... Bam, ADHD diagnosis, Adderall, mm-hmm. which is a crazy, crazily powerful drug, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, especially for a child. Yeah. Whew. And you said something interesting on that episode about like, yeah, it's really difficult to be interested in something that bores you. Yes. And with That's school, sure. totally. it's it's so 90% of what you're learning, unless, unless you were, you, you know really encouraged by your parents to be curious about the world. I would love to say that most kids are, but the more I talk to people, I'm like, if your parents have mental illness, if your parents didn't value that stuff, you you didn't have this like push. Your kids need to be nurtured and raised. Like their spirit needs to be nurtured. So if your spirit wasn't nurtured and you don't even know like the value of being curious about the world and ex- mm-hmm. how exciting it is to learn about something, then everything's going to be boring to you. So this is, yeah, this is one gripe I had with the way writing is taught. So the way writing is taught at least in my experience growing up, was that here's a book that you probably don't care about, and now we're going to teach you to write by asking you to write about it. Yeah. Right. right. Oh, I hated writing book reports. Yeah. So I'm I'm an adult that's considered a pretty good writer, and mm-hmm. I made a career off of it, and I don't think that I was any, any notable kind of writer in high school when I was writing about stuff I didn't care about. Right. When I started really caring about specific topics in the world, I realized I want to communicate what I'm saying as concisely and precisely 
yeah. as is possible. And that urge let me let me led me to figure out how to write well. Mm-hmm. But absent that, I don't think I could have learned how to write well writing a, a, because about because there's no fire behind there's you. There's no fire behind it. So. Hmm. I mean, I'm not, I don't have a grand plan to overhaul things, but like (laughs) if I were teaching someone to write, I would not just assign a random book from the syllabus. I would ask them what they're deeply interested in and it could be anything, but getting first that Kindle of wanting to communicate something that may be a little tough to communicate. Mm -hmm. That's where like good writing comes from yeah when you want to figure out how you want to say this or want to feel like you're like this 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 work does something in me it stirs something in me i don't even know what it is yet but like finding out what that is within yourself through writing is so valuable and so exciting but like i don't remember anybody like when i was in middle school and high school like no one had like that passion like yeah um, you guys don't have those. This is interesting to me just because we were both raised in New Jersey and mm-hmm. New Jersey actually has a surprisingly good education system. Yeah. Um, and because I was like my experience in, in Union, which is a lower income town, was quite different. Like we had a lot of creative. We had creative writing as a singular course and I, and I that I took. And we had a lot of we had we had journals where we, we would free write. That was very encouraged. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of opportunities to write about just I mean, I obviously I had to do book reports, too. Mm-hmm. But I can recall in my because I love writing and I re- can recall in my mind many opportunities that I was given to write about things that I was passionate about because I also hate doing book reports Mm -hmm. but even a research paper like I was able to you know choose you know obviously like I'm like a little goth girl I loved uh, writing about Edgar Allan Poe Mm -hmm. you know I'm like Mm -hmm. my my boyfriend who's dead Um, (laughs) he died in a ditch yeah but yeah and and journaling and creative writing and Mm -hmm. And then I worked for the school newspaper too, uh, to forcing my writing on people early. <laughs> that was a fun thing. Um, but you didn't have a lot of, cause I mean, I think, I think one of the problems with school is certainly that, uh, we're not encouraged to be free thinkers. I mean, that's my biggest criticism of, of, the education system and i think that's definitely on purpose because Mm -hmm. you don't want a bunch of free thinkers that that makes for a chaotic uh, society Yeah, no one's gonna sign up for the military right (laughs) yeah yeah well i'm I'm glad you had that i mean i'm sure i had some of that stuff i definitely had like free writing yeah but i guess my in my memory when they're teaching you the nuts and bolts of writing and the papers they're correcting and this is how grammar goes and this is this is this is how to write a strong sentence especially like this is how to write a strong sentence. That kind of pedagogy, that kind of teaching, I feel it doesn't work unless you first have a really strong thought. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't actually, I don't really know many people with really strong thoughts. There's not a lot. I've, of people. I, yeah. yeah. I, I found the times I write well, it's because I spend a lot of time thinking about the thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Thinking about exactly why I care about it. Yep. what. I, and then the right, good writing tends to flow from there sure so it's a good symbiosis between your thoughts and emotions because i think when you're too overpowered by your emotions you're just your thinking brain goes off yeah and but at the same time if you have no if nothing sparks your emotions or touches your emotions in any way that's what boredom is right right? i mean that's what like no one's going to want to write about something that doesn't move them in any way right um, you talked to Richard, too, in that episode. I really loved that episode mm. uh, about the feminization of society. Mm. In what other ways other than mm. the way school is structured mm. are, are is society feminized in your. So. Hmm. So that yeah, that, that's an interesting thesis. I, I think the one that came to my mind in that conversation was um, the the way bullying is talked about. Mm-hmm. You talk to anyone like over 40 or 50. I think um, the notion that bullying is like a problem 
as as to to be solved by teachers and institutions or to be fought at a national level just like wasn't a thing. Yeah. It was just like grow Girl, up, pussy. don't be a pussy. Yeah. Right. And I think um it, it was you know, that's the influence of of the parts of masculinity that are toxic, right? Like boys left to their own devices with no outside influences often tend towards that kind of behavior and that kind of cruelty. And I think probably with the increasing power of women in society, that is, that's probably been one effect is that bullying is talked about as at minimum, like a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like not something that's acceptable. But there's mm-hmm. this irony though, that like when a girl bullies you, like I've been bullied by other girls, it hurt. They girls can cut deep with <laughs> yeah. their words in a way that men just, I don't even think are capable of. Like this a guy can true. punch you in the face, but a girl can punch you in the heart. That <laughs> nice. lasts. Nice. No, that's, that's true. A mark. Powerful. It's true. Were you ever bullied? Um, not that I remember. I, I don't think I was. Do you deal with a lot of back? You deal with a lot of backlash online just for having opinions, right? Yeah. How do you handle that? Um. Well, better and better as I've gotten older. I mean, mm. I think the first time I, I really got started to get backlash on Twitter, I reacted to it. I was kind of stunned. Really? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> you, you don't know how much it hurts to have a hundred strangers uh, bullying you. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, I do. Yeah, but yeah, you, you do. We, yeah, right? yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes. we know it well. Yeah, you, you know, you, it's awful. You want to crawl into a hole. But you, it, yeah. it's actually, it's it's like worse than you would predict. Yeah, I think it depends for me what time. it's for. Like you know, ugly cum bucket, not, those things yeah. roll out of the shoulders. Uh, but I think it's when it's when it to me when it's something about you that you know not to be true, and there's but there's no way of convincing Correct. other people like that. A huge misread sucks. Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. That's terrible. And uh-huh. how do you how do you gripe with that? Like people just assuming a trait about you that you know you don't even possess. Let it go. That is the yeah, only yeah. Yeah. there is no solution For sure. on Twitter because we are obviously we're evolved, wired to treat every person as if they're like a person that's important and that we're gonna meet again. Like we we evolved in tribes of like two hundred people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everyone's opinions about you really mattered. Yeah. That's why that's why social disapproval mm. oh, as animals we are wired to like really hate social disapproval. Yeah, we want to belong. It's a very deep evolutionary thing. Mm. So, you know, fast forward to Twitter, we're bringing that caveman psychology to a situation where we have thousands and thousands and thousands of strangers following us right. that see a snippet and hate you and have never met you and say the meanest thing that they can. And you're still acting as if if you're not if you don't convince them who you really are, mm-hmm. you're they're not going to share the next bison kill with you, and you and your kids right. are going to die. Like and there is this desire though to disprove yeah, their totally. misread of you. Yeah, I mean, this is this is desire to shake them and just like if we if we could just see me if you could just talk to me i guarantee you i'm not what you think i am right yeah and the kicker with that is you know that if whoever was tweeting the worst thing that's ever been tweeted at you if they were in front of your face they would never say that right i don't even think they would want to say that it's like this there's it's so much easier to throw your pain at people on the internet but receiving it fucking bites also have you ever had the experience where someone emails or dms you something really mean and then you respond like nicely and calmly yeah and then the next thing they say is, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm such a big fan. Yes, <laughs> they did. And I'm like, yeah. you didn't even mean what you said. Like, they yeah. didn't even they didn't even mean the anger that I read with your message that you just take it back like that because right. I responded. Right. Yeah, that always pisses me off. 
that they, always, they didn't see you as a person and then right. they, they remembered oh my god this is a human being right this is like a guy i'm just talking to yeah i can't yeah. be crazy i can't right. be psycho <laughs> yeah i think you're i think you're you're a, a point though like it's so much worse than people know uh when you're being attacked um online uh is interesting because i know like even when it happens to like me, even like people very close to me, like my best friend wanted me to talk to someone who was like getting canceled because um, he's a he's a therapist. And I was like, a therapist was getting, he's canceled? getting canceled because he's a therapist. No, 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 no. One of his clients was getting canceled. <laughs> oh, and so he was like he was going to he was like asked me if it was OK to refer me. And I was like, I'm I'm still working through that in therapy. So I, I, I and I was like, I was like, I don't think I was like, you can never you know, it, it, people would just be like, act like you're a crybaby, mm. you know, mm. if you're, yeah. right. if you really let on. But I'm like, it, it is, you know, that's why John Ronson wrote, you know, the entire book. So you've been publicly shamed. I it's mean, a great book. because so it's good. like, I gave it to everyone in my so family good. for yeah. Christmas and they were like, well, and I was like, you just, you, you need this. Um, and it's an easy read too. Um, but I think like, you know, the fact that people are commonly kill themselves over public shamings should wake something up in other people. Right. And, you know, I, I, there was a time when I responded just like really, you know, angrily online and then I uh, evolved to responding nicely. And now sometimes I just fucking make examples of people mm. and within two them. hours, they're, uh, you know, they've, they've, their Instagram's on private because that's how little of it mm. they can take. Mm -hmm. it's, and it's not me trying to make people feel, it's, it's just me showing them. I'm like, I need to show you what this feels like because I really don't think you know. And as soon as you get a little tiny piece of it, it's going to change who you are. And I'm sorry that I have to do it this way. But I got to do it this it way. It must be antithetical, like against our evolution or our, our human instincts to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Because mm. it's hard. I don't see a lot of that happening. Yeah. Like really well, put yourself before before you say the thing. It's time consuming and no one wants to take the time to do it. Like it's mm. a it's a pain in the ass. Mm. Also, how do you know what it's like? You're never going to really know what it's like. Sure. But just to like dance there a little bit in your imagination. I find it fascinating. I do too. I think it's very interesting. That's but that's why when I get criticism online, which isn't all the time, but like when it has happened in the avalanches, I'm like, well, the anger that you're feeling is coming from somewhere. You're mm -hmm. not making it up. Mm -hmm. And it's valid. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, you know, I don't want to I don't want to invalidate your anger because that's that's gonna make things way worse it's just misdirected yeah, right. i think we all just feel like everyone else's lives are going a lot better than ours or they, yeah. they have something that we want or should have and like that's not true we're all suffering that's <laughs> like that hello <laughs> when did social media how old were you when social media came into your life because i remember when i went on facebook you had to get a college email I, oh, yes. in order to do it which was awesome and i'm like yes. i think i think so often how blessed i never use that word but i feel that way about not about going through middle school and high school with no social media i think 14 for me wow and i was late compared Fuck. to most of my peers because i i wasn't i don't know i wasn't the type to just always be on the new technology like my yeah. sister so I, I it would have been like 12 for most people in my grade but i just mm. waited another two years i Good was working on my spice girls easy and at 14 <laughs> nice. what do you think social media is doing to society it's hard to not for me it's hard to not be pessimistic about that yeah, this is a this is an interesting debate because on the one hand you have people who say, "Listen, there's been fake news since the end of time, uh, since since the beginning of time. There's been mm. viral myths that go on social media. There's been genocides and civil wars and strife and all kinds of horrible violence long before social media sure. came for us to blame it on." Mm. On the other hand, 
the the difference between how information spread in 2005 and 2015 is actually incredible. Like in in 2005, is if something crazy happened in your local town in, in like Wichita, I guess that's not that's like a pretty big city for there. <laughs> um, apologies to listeners from Kansas; it's a great state. Mm-hmm. Like that would be in the Wichita local newspaper the next day. Yeah, a journalist would go; they would do their due diligence yeah. mm-hmm. and it would be read locally right and you would go to the farmer's market and say, oh did you hear the crazy thing happened right and that'd be it and it's they a would healthy deal spread it. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's relevant to them it's not today if that same crazy things happens in wichita someone is there with with an iphone mm-hmm. yeah they film it they film a 30 second clip the worst 30 second clip of it <laughs> without the lead up without the fallout without the context and within hours, millions of people across the world have seen it. They have an opinion on it, too. Yes. Right. And they're relating it to their pain and what they like. I was telling uh, this the other day. I'm like, we're all playing hot potato with our pain and our like bad feelings. And I feel like you could tell when a media outlet, the headline is just that it's trying to poke at you. It's yeah. trying to poke at like what what's the lowest hanging fruit of what people get mad at? Yeah. And then you see how many people take the bait. Oh, my God. It's, it's impossible. not Everyone. To. So there's no mm. I mean, you cannot exaggerate the difference between the information ecosystem in our just lifetimes. The, the, yeah. Just the pure speed. Yeah. Oh, right. The speed of information. Because yeah. fake news now is like what it, you know, we used to call like an old wives tale or something, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, just yeah. something that you would have to like you'd have to hear it from somebody. Yes. Mm. And when you raise the speed limit of information, mm. not every in- piece of information takes advantage of that. Right. So like I, the way I, th- I think I use this analogy sometimes of like if we were to increase the speed limit on the highway to like 300 miles an hour. Right. Um, certain cars would be able to go that fast. Right. But certain cars have a top speed of 90 miles an mm-hmm. hour. They were just, you know, family cars or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and so when you when you, you know, jack up the speed of information, divisive things like horrible things are what travels faster the rational still travels slow yeah, yeah. and so because it's, it's less interesting exactly the that's minivans why, of info it, yeah like that's how i feel about climate change and I, i'm like you know because i have a my other podcast is a news show and i think the reason truly that we don't talk about climate change as much is because the articles are boring mm-hmm. that and that's really why and also it's like yeah. you start reading it and you go these are not words that i use every day when it's about a, a person or something like more like a social issue that's easier for us to grasp and mm-hmm. then you just you know climate change articles have cl- environmental language in them that we don't use on a day-to-day basis and i really think that if you know just gotta spice up these articles a little bit put some nudes also, in them or something <laughs> yeah some titties yeah that'll, that'll make me want to save the earth yeah. also give me stuff to do like give me pal I, we know mm-hmm. like you know it took me a minute to realize oh i need to be bringing my own grocery bags to the grocery store mm-hmm. like that's but that's such an easy thing for everybody to do it doesn't mm-hmm. take anything out of you it doesn't emotionally exhaust you it's just something you have to remember there's though something demoralizing about knowing that you're just one in a node of millions and mm. that, you know, bringing your grocery bag, your biodegradable, whatever, like at some level, it's such, you're such a blip in the universe and the yeah. world yeah. that it's so easy to lapse into nihilism and just say, okay, I'm going to try to vote for the right person. Screw this. Like yeah. I'm whatever. Yeah. But going back, I, I, going back to like the future of social media and its impact on society, do you ever see that getting better? No, I mean, <laughs> nice. you know, me either. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a very tough nut to crack because, um, 
look, we live in a capitalist society. Yeah. Yeah. Um, too many people never, are making tons of money online. And, so, and I don't think that'll ever go away. Yeah. Overall, right? that is the engine of wealth that makes so many immigrants yeah. want to move here. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It, in, in, the, in a 10,000-foot view, it's a good thing, I think. Mm. But it has these downsides, whereas, you know, when TikTok comes out in China – they can actually close it at 10 p.m. or whatever they do. Every oh, night. they do that? Yes. TikTok in China. Mental Whoa. health blessing. Yeah, they just put in all of these regulations to say, actually, it locks you out after a certain hour. Wow. So below a certain day. All of these things which which a parent would want to be able to instill mm-hmm. in it so, so that you don't go crazy. Yeah. Here, we can't just do that. We can't just snap our fingers in an authoritarian state and make these decisions. And that... That's the price we pay for freedom. I think it's it's a price that's worth it. But as long as like we th- there's money to be made with attention and just like your eyeballs, mm. it's it's hard to see how we roll this back. Yeah, and mm. we almost we need examples. We need teachings. We need to be taught in school because you can't really rely that the parents are going to teach it. Although I think parenting has really evolved in the last couple decades mm. of like how, what is self-control? What does it look like? What are the benefits of it? And then how do you do it? And where do you implement it? Because I feel like we're all mm. Kevin McAllister in Home Alone 2. We got our mm-hmm. dad's credit card and we got this fucking butler wheeling us in ice cream until we pass mm. out. Yeah. And it's like w- overstimulation with pornography, overstimulation mm. with advertisements and with buying, just buying shit that you don't need. It took me a long time to realize oh, I'm just buying shit I don't need. Like that's mm. the nature of a consumerism, consumer society. Like, um, you know, it almost seems like teaching people how to control themselves is going to be the key, I think. Yeah, we need some kind of self-control culture or some kind of um, – Make self-control hot and fun. Yeah, you know, like or the whole just like being on your phone during a conversation. Yeah. You yeah. just have that like a cultural thing of like that's not cool. Yeah. Because there, there's other absent a cultural stigma on it, nothing is going to slow this down. Yeah. Like it's only going to get like the, the, whatever the version of TikTok is that comes out in 10 years is going to be more addictive than TikTok. Think about that. Oh my God. Hell yeah. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Maybe I can't people I, wean off drugs and just get off, so, get on social media. Listen, forever. TikTok's been very helpful for me. Like, that's how I get my ASMR, which is, in my opinion, more helpful than meditation. I love right. it. I love ASMR. That's the only reason I go on TikTok. Do you do you only follow ASMR people? Uh, basic, basically. So, and I I go on all my oh, lives. Cool. My favorite is Serenity. Hey, <laughs> hey, bestie. She calls everyone bestie. She doesn't know me. Um, and yeah, and I just like watch her like give a fake facial to a camera, like not a pornography facial, like an actual, and like a whisper voice. Yeah, and, and then you great. fall asleep. Oh my god, it's amazing. That's yeah, great. she's improved my life that more more than like almost anyone I've paid m- money to. There yeah. you go. So hey, there are upsides it to it too. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Sure. But yes, I mean, willpower and self-control. I mean, that's like one of the biggest, I think, lessons like in life. I mean, that's why I I like I got I feel like I like Judaism so much because I feel like every holiday is kind of about self-control or like taking something away from yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really got into it. Like, I, you know, we were just kind of uh, raised like culturally, like my parents were different religions. But then I was like, oh, like Passover, you're just like taking things away from yourself. And it's the only holiday that builds character. Mm. I've never like built character from celebrating Christmas or Easter, but Mm -hmm. I really truly have built character from celebrating and I'm using that loosely Passover. Yeah. No, but it's interesting. Like almost every religion has something like that, right? Yeah, sure. um, Lent, I guess, would be one for Christians and Ramadan for for Muslims, all about giving up that which gives you pleasure to Mm -hmm. get to something deeper. Yes. 
Yeah, and then you then you reappreciate what gives you pleasure, and you don't want to overdo it. Yeah, which is amazing. Coleman, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, Where can we find you? What would you like to promote? My podcast, Conversations with Coleman, wherever you listen to podcasts. My Twitter at Cold X (laughs) Man, and my uh, let's see, my website ColemanHughes.org. Wonderful. Thank Thank you so much. This has been guys. We fucked the anti slut shaming podcast. We'll talk to you next Friday. Guys We Fucked is presented by Luminary. Created and hosted by Corinne Fisher and Christina Hutchinson. Editing and music coordination by Mike Coscarelli. Theme song by Rob Patterson and Jake Kozen. Suck my wet ass pussy. <laughs> Christina said to cut that before, but now it's in there. Yeah, let's keep it. Who cares? Make it fast. Make it strong. Soil as it's all along. Let the buzz linger on to drunken bliss. Give me good old-fashioned love with a twist Love with a twist Get me ready, steady, love with a twist Make it neat, make it nice, shake it up once or twice Maybe virtue, maybe vice you can't resist Get me ready, steady love with a twist. Love is like a cocktail of two hearts that feel the same. Mixing lots, love sparking, not a flame. Add a twist to see the flame become a fire, burning bright like an One by fire, pour it slow, just like wine, so the flavor over time will still persist. Bring me a ring of ding ding love with a twist. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.